All right, if you have your Bibles, open up to uh, Revelation chapter 2 as we continue our series uh, in the book of Revelation. And uh, we are going to be talking about the church in Smyrna today. Those of you who know me well know that I am not a uh, handyman. I don't do well with uh, projects or building things, tools, <laughs> any of that stuff. And uh, in fact, one time, I don't know if I told the story before, but... Uh, we were, I was a youth pastor up in Battleground, Washington, and we had a dear friend, uh, Jim Hobson, who took it as part of his ministry uh, to help, um, I don't know, with cars and fixing things around our house. He just kind of took that on as a ministry. And uh, one time, my, my daughter, who was at that time, she was in the first grade, JM, comes up to me and she said, Dad, something's wrong with my bike, and I, I go out to look at it. And a real simple little kid's bike, and it had a, a kickstand. Uh, attached with one bolt to the bottom of the frame, and it was loose, and the kickstand was spinning completely around. I said, oh, your kickstand's loose, and so I flip it up and get a tool and tighten up the kickstand, and JM, dear little soul, first grade, she looks at me, and she goes, shouldn't we call Jim? <laughs> so not great at fixing things. We were doing a, a, a project around the house way out of my uh, my comfort zone uh, yesterday, but we were just in the deconstruction phase, and uh, we were taking something down, and when you're doing deconstruction, you learn something about the last person that did the construction, right? And it was a simple thing that we were removing. It should have taken 12 screws to put it in, but this person used about 50. Um, just the floor was just piled with screws that we were just taking out. And we are in Revelation here, and we have to do some deconstruction. Some of you have heard things over the years that sounded really fancy and neat, um, and you can hold on to those things, but I'm, I'm going to throw some deconstruction your way. And one popular one uh, is that the churches in Revelation represented seven different eras in time. And uh, it, it's, this, this has existed for a long time. Has anybody ever heard that one? The, the, the different, different, okay, well, we're doing, yeah, David heard that one. Um, so there's, it, it, it's been around for a long time. The funny thing is, is when you're, um, over the years, when that is being taught, the person teaching it always shows how they're in the last era, right? When you get to the last church, and here's, here's us. And what I've said is that there's some patterns in Revelation that keep repeating. And so we see ourselves in each of these churches. These were literal churches. Here's a map. They existed uh, in uh, Asia, uh, Asia Minor is called the time, uh, Patmos, you can kind of see there's a pink uh, uh, highlight there, and then the seven churches all right there. In fact, uh, as we look at the order here, we can kind of see uh, a route of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergam, Thyatira, and they just kind of come in the, in the route that the deliverer of the letter would have gone. And one of the reasons why some people want to see this as more of an uh, era type of thing is when we look at Ephesus and we look at Smyrna, who weren't that far in distance, right, on the map, uh, Smyrna is experiencing some extreme persecution. So why wasn't Ephesus? Some of this was local. And the other thing is, remember, when these letters were read, they didn't, he didn't just show up with the letter to Smyrna. They showed up with all of Revelation. And so these letters were meant to be read to each of the churches. In other words, just because something is happening in Ephesus doesn't mean that it doesn't also 
exist in Smyrna and, and vice versa. And so we're supposed to take these as a whole. And I said at the end of the sermon, I, you know, uh, last week as we get to the end of Ephesus, right, nine good things, one bad thing, repent or I'm going to remove the lampstand. There's no bad things in this letter today. And so um, if you want to be the perfect church, the key is to be living through persecution. There you have it. There's, there's, the, there's the common thing. There is an interesting pattern in uh, these seven letters. Uh, stands out to me. When you look at the first and seventh letter, uh, there are some very similar things. Church one, remember, had lost their first love. Church seven, uh, they're referred to as lukewarm. Churches two and six, we're looking at church two today. They're both uh, going through persecution. Uh, both of those have no rebukes. And both mention the synagogue of Satan. And then churches 3, 4, and 5 um, also form a kind of a group, similar themes of sexual immorality, idolatry, and the reference to being spiritual, uh, spiritual death. And so uh, there are some different patterns, but all these churches are experiencing some very similar things. So we're in, in Revelation chapter 2, and we're going to pick, uh, pick up our text today from verse 8. And the angel of the church of Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. Now, if you've been here, we've been talking about how these introductions are taken from chapter 1. So uh, that is from verse 8 here. You can look at chapter 1, verse 17, and verse 18. Verse 9. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to put some of you in prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. How would you like to get that letter on Sunday morning? Right? I mean, that is, uh, that's wow. Great. Thanks for the warning. Ten days. Right? So let's, let's dig into this a little bit. The main point uh, that I believe that John and Jesus is, is saying here is that in order to be faithful unto death, the knowledge of Jesus must be bigger than the reality of death itself. When you, when you dig into this introduction, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life, and then be faithful unto death, the main point is, and, and look, I don't, we're talking about persecution here, but let's just in general... In order to be faithful unto death, the knowledge of Jesus must be bigger than the reality of death itself. Um, a little bit about the church in Smyrna. Uh, it, here uh, in the introduction, um, it, another big church, uh, another big city, uh, one of the only cities, uh, I think the only city in Revelation still exists today. Uh, under a different name, the ruins are just e even within the city and outside the city, um, but there's still a city there today, and um, there is a lar there was a large Jewish population there, 
And so that's going to play into um, this letter. And in the introduction, we have these words from chapter 1, verse 17 and 18. And remember, as we looked at that, uh, it reminds us of Jesus' deity. So we have here uh, Jesus using this phrase, the, the, the first and the last of, of God, the Alpha and the Omega. And so uh, definitely a reference here to the deity of Jesus. So just step back a minute. You're facing death. You're about to enter into severe persecution. Let's just remember that Jesus is God. It's a good reminder. Second, because that is true, God is sovereign. Jesus is sovereign. Now, that's a little bit scary. Wait a minute, you said Jesus is sovereign and we're entering into tribulation? We're entering into persecution? Yeah. In fact, he makes an interesting reference here. He says, Satan is about to do this and you are being tested. You're being tested by Satan. Satan is doing it. God is allowing the test. There are times when we face difficulty. And yes, God is sovereign. He can say, I'm going to wipe that away. Right now, he could say, I'm going to stop that. He's all-powerful. But he chooses to allow us to go through that, that we might become more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. So we're reminded right at the beginning, you're headed into some bad stuff. Jesus is God. Jesus is sovereign. And then let's, this is the most important reminder, right? Who died and came to life. Jesus has power over death. So again, the reminder, just a quote from a commentator, last name was Hamilton, in order to be faithful unto death, the knowledge of Jesus, that he is God, that he is sovereign, that he has power over death, that knowledge has to be bigger than the reality of death itself. Now, I said there's no weaknesses here, but there are some strengths. Three things that Jesus knows. Um, I just want to, in my devotions this week, uh, you know, Rich said it today, so many times the Bible is speaking into exactly where we're at, and I'm preparing this message, and one of the things that I read during my, um, my time was Psalm 40. And Psalm of David, during a, it's a lament, and he says, I waited patiently for the Lord. Um, the word patiently is actually not there in the Hebrew. The Hebrew says, waiting I waited. I don't know where we got patient out of that. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me from the pit of destruction out of the miry blog, and he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds 
and your thoughts toward us. Another translation, your wondrous works and plans for, you, and plans for us. You've multiplied those. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. Verses uh, 6 and following uh, on Psalm, they're quoted in Hebrews, and it says, of the Lord, it says, in sacrifice and offerings you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offerings you have not required. Then I said, behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me, I delight to do your will, O God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips. As you know, I have not hidden your deliverance. Just this whole psalm, and it's a long one, but um, even in here it says, As for me, I am poor and needy. My iniquities have overtaken me. We, We have this picture of somebody who is struggling and is crying out to God. And, and, the, and the psalmist says, man, when I think about God, I, I realize how wonderful he is, how well he knows me, how well he takes care of me. But in my struggle, in my suffering, in my persecution, I feel like waiting, I waited. Both are true for us, aren't they? In one sense, we sit in the midst of tribulation and go, God, why? How long will you forsake me forever? David says in another psalm. And at the other time, we can sit and praise God in church and go, isn't Jesus wonderful for delivering us? And I think the church in Smyrna is in that midst. Man, I love Jesus. Wait, we're going to do what? And so here we are digging into this. And so Jesus reminds them, I know your tribulation. Some translations, affliction. Just, Just pause for a minute. We, we're going through all sorts of stuff individually, as a nation, as a church. We go through all this stuff. I just want you to hear this morning. Jesus knows your trouble. Jesus knows your concern. Jesus knows your situation. He knows it. He's not sitting up there going, I have no idea what's going on. Jesus knows your tribulation. He also knows your reality. I get that from this this part of the verse. He says, I know your poverty, but you are rich. Um, There's some contrasts that are going on here. Um, And and here here it is. I mean, man, you're, you're living in poverty probably is part of the persecution. Uh, We're going to get to that in a second. But part of what they're going through is because they don't worship many gods, they're being ousted by the Romans for not giving into the cult worship of the day. That's affecting their ability to buy and sell goods and, and just to hold a job. So their poverty is literal. And Jesus isn't saying tongue-in-cheek. He's not saying, you know, I know your poverty, but I, I also know your bank account. You guys are a bunch of whiners. That's not, that's not what he's saying. I know your poverty. But I know in me, in God's kingdom, 
you are rich. In other words, I know your true identity. Isn't it amazing that we can struggle financially? And, and some of you do. Some of you don't. But those of you who are listening, uh, you, you struggle financially. You're living on a fixed income. You're, you're struggling right now to get ahead in a, in a COVID world. Some of our young people, I, you're, you're just like, you, you, you look at your bank account not for fun, but because you're, you know, scared. And that's your reality. But you're a prince or princess of the king of kings. I mean, isn't that amazing? In one sense, we're going to inherit this whole world. And in another sense, you're passing by McDonald's going, that looks a little too expensive today. And so Jesus is reminding them of the reality. You're a child of God. Now he says, I, I know your tribulation, I know your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Jesus also knows your adversary. Now, there's a lot of uh, writing about this part of the verse here. Uh, what does this mean, those who are Jews but are not? Synagogue of Satan. Uh, this, this verse has been really used in an evil, evil way in our world. It is a favorite verse of the neo-Nazi. They have a theology that wraps around this that goes as far to say that Eve had sexual relations with Satan and if you're not white, you're an offspring of that. Um, uh, newer neo-Nazis have said, oh, that's ridiculous. It's not literal. It's just they figuratively are. Thank you for that. Okay, this verse has been used for the hatred of Jewish people and people of colors since it was written. Not what he's saying. So we got to do some deconstruction here. What is going on? When the early uh, church is coming out of this Jewish movement, and they're saying, we believe that Jesus was the Messiah, right? Think of all of Paul's travelings. Where did he go first? He went to the synagogue until he was kicked out, and then he went to the Gentiles, and he ended up with these mixed churches that were fighting about this Jewish culture, and Jewish laws. Now, in Rome, the Jews had reached a certain exempt status from the worship of this cult worship. They were allowed to buy and sell, and they were allowed to work in this culture. Now we have this offshoot Christian church, and they were floating under this exemption for a little bit. And the Jews didn't like that. And so they were kicking them out. And that is going to bring their persecution. And so, in that sense, they are saying, hey, we have the synagogue of God. 
get out, you cult group Christians. And God is saying, that's not my synagogue. And so early Christians were known as a sect of Judaism. Jews are throwing the Christians under the bus and claiming that they are the true worshipers of Yahweh, and they worship at the synagogue of God. And so this response sounds harsh, but we even see Jesus using this language. In John chapter 8, the Jews say, our father is Abraham. And Jesus kind of comes back going, no, your father's the devil, and you speak his lies. And so in a large picture, listen, I, I know that the society that you live in wants to say there's many roads to heaven. But from a biblical point of view, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. There's only one way. Which, by default, means the other ways are false. False. It's not a popular view. But it is a biblical view. And so, to, to use this language from a biblical point of view, it's not wrong for you to use it in racism or to think of people lower than yourself is wrong. What are we supposed to do? In the midst of persecution, love our enemies. Pray for those who persecute us. Okay, the response is not to form a group and beat people up. So we are called to love those who are bringing this persecution. Now, I said that there is no weakness in here. I know your tribulation, your poverty, but you are rich. The slander of those who say that they are Jews but are not, uh, but are a synagogue of Satan. Uh, do not fear what you're about to suffer. Um, wow. Um, that sounds negative, but there's no point of you're suffering because you've done stupid things. So suffering can be a strength. It's a privilege to suffer with Christ. Now, that sounds, I, I want to emphasize that, suffer with Christ. Um, you say, well, don't we just suffer for Christ? Well, no. Uh, the language of the New Testament is that we are, we are part of the suffering. First uh, Peter says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Okay, you're suffering for righteousness' sake. Um, and uh, in Acts chapter 5, uh, then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Uh, too, too many Christians are, are in a hurry, uh, in a sense, to get to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Right? Heaven. But to get the crown, we all go through the cross. We all encounter this shame, this dishonor, this hatred that our Savior endured. And we get to participate in it. Now, it doesn't bring about our salvation. Jesus did that on the cross. But I, I just, this is an interesting response. They left the presence of the council. I, mean, I believe being beat, beaten there, they're in prison for a period of time, right? They went through all the stuff. Rejoicing. Not that they were out of it, but that they went through it. That they were, they were counted worthy to suffer like Jesus suffered. 
Now, if you're suffering because you're a jerk, okay, you deserve that. But if you're suffering because people hate Jesus in you, that's a privilege. Now, not all suffering is persecution, uh, meaning a privilege there. Um, one person wrote, not everything we suffer as Christians is Christian suffering. By nature, we are fallen creatures in a fallen world, subject to sin and its consequences in and around us. Under such circumstances, all suffer in measure and all far less than we deserve. We suffer as sinners and as creatures in a world wrecked by sin. Apart from God's free favor, his grace, we would face the eternal sufferings of hell. We're not surprised when we encounter suffering because we're in a broken world. People have been wrecked by sin. Physically, emotionally, spiritually. So suffering is, is a part of the world we live in. It's not a popular Western theme. But it is a reality. Suffering is, is multifaceted. Um, Paul says in uh, 2 Corinthians, we are afflicted in every way. Oh, these are not uplifting verses. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. You can hear in this verse the, the mental, the physical, the emotional, the spiritual affliction that we experience. Not all suffering is physical. Now, i got to tell you, if you've been to a Baptist prayer meeting, you would think that 99% of all suffering is physical. But we experience all sorts of other things that are affliction and suffering and tribulation and persecution that is going on that we don't often bring to the Lord in prayer for some reason. Suffering produces growth. So let's look here at verse 10. <coughs> Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Again, it's because we know who Jesus is. Just that sentence alone, right? Try that with your kids or grandkids. Have a needle and say, don't fear what you're about to experience. Okay? Not going to work. It doesn't even work with my dog. Okay? So, yes, there's fear. But when we compare that to who Jesus is, we rest in that. So he says, do not fear what you're about to endure. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days you will have tribulation. Oh, okay. You know what? I can do anything for 10 days if I know it's coming to an end. Be faithful unto death. Not the ending you were probably looking for. But what is he saying here? He's saying, look, you're about to be tested. Suffering produces growth. 
Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the powers of resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in death. You see that? We share with him, we become like him. And then he says, and I will give you the crown of life. After suffering comes glory. I've said this way too many funerals. As I watch people who were vibrant, loved life, hunters and fishermen and Athletes and golfers. I don't put those athletes and golfers in the same categories. But you know what I mean. Their bodies began to decay. And I've just asked this question at funerals. What do you think it was like for them the first moment in glory? When they stepped over and their body didn't hurt anymore, when they were full of energy like they hadn't experienced maybe ever in life. And I said, I bet they burst into glory. I mean, just hit the floor running. Some people want to think that when we're doing a service that the person is sitting up there watching us, what we have to say. It's probably out fishing or hiking or running. They burst into glory. They felt like this like never before. And I just want to say the reason that we can face death with hope is because glory is what awaits us. If you're listening today, the story of the Bible is that God created you in his image to experience joy and life and fulfillment. But we said, no, we want to do it our way, not your way. We rebelled against God, and that brought sin and death and pain. But God loved us so much that he continued to pursue us. And say, I want to fix this relationship so much so that he sent his son, Jesus, who lived a perfect life and died on your behalf. Not so that you could go to heaven, but so that you could experience glory with the God who created you forever and ever and ever. For it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith in Jesus Christ. And I know that some of you are suffering. Some of you are struggling. And in our selfishness, we say, we don't want to see you go. But as your pastor, I want to say, glory awaits. Glory awaits. We are heirs of God. Fellow heirs with Christ. Provided we live a middle class, peaceful, 
No. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. If you want to burst into glory, then you've got to suffer with Christ. Now the warning, again, there's no repent here or anything like that. But the main point, in order to be faithful unto death, the knowledge of Jesus must be bigger to us than the reality of death itself. And really, this is just spelled out here in these few verses. Chapter 2, verse 8, Jesus is bigger than death. Verse 9, Jesus knows your sufferings. Verse 10, Jesus calls us to be faithful unto death. And verse 11, Jesus promises his people life. There it is. It's really simple. Whatever you're facing, Jesus is bigger than. Whatever you're suffering, Jesus knows it. And he's called you to be faithful. And he promises that he's going to meet you on this other side as you burst into glory. The warnings here is don't fear what you're about to suffer. Again, easier said than done. And let me just say something here about this verse. Um, He says here, you're about to... Uh, be imprisoned here for for 10 days, okay? So let's dig into this. First of all, don't fear what you're about to suffer. Now, I don't know where you guys are on the scale, but uh, sometimes I think to myself, man, I wish I knew what was coming. You know, I I wish I knew what was going to happen the next six months, year, two years. There's other times where I go, you know what? Probably better I don't know. This might be one of them right here. Did we ask? (laughs) Did we want to know what's happening, right? Sometimes it's better we don't know. And sometimes God is saying, I'm going to be with you. Look, reality is Jesus is with you either way. Now, don't fear what you're about to suffer. Satan is at work in your suffering. Here's... Here's the cause of it. Verse 10, second part. But God is going to use that suffering to mold us and shape us into his image, to test us. Isn't it great to know that whatever you're going through right now, God can use for good? Is that a beautiful reminder? Verse 10, just just again here, he says, Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil will throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested for ten days. You will have tribulation. God's going to use your, he knows your suffering. And then he says, I'm going to give you the crown. Now, this this ten days here, I I don't believe it's a literal ten days. Um, There's no historical reference to anything, any kind of ten day thing that Smyrna was going through. Um, the Romans used imprisonment for two things, uh, to shut you up or to hold you over to your trial and execution. Okay, they didn't, they didn't use a prison system like we do. They didn't give you five to ten. You were either dead or, you know, put into a work camp or something. 
So the idea of being held for 10 days, if there's nothing historically that the Romans used, there's nothing historically that we have that we can look back and say this is what happened here. It is interesting to me, uh, because we had so many references to Daniel in chapter 1, um, when Daniel uh, chooses to eat vegetables instead of the, the allotted stuff given to them, they were tested for 10 days. And so this might just be a figurative 10 days of what a testing, that's a testing period. Um, and so we're just reminded, I don't know what your testing period is. I don't know if it's 10 days or 10 years. I, I don't know what it is, but there's a testing period that we may all undergo. And so again, the call here is just to uh, be faithful. And I, I would say that, um, look, I can't, I'm not going to get political on you here and say this is the suffering we're undergoing. Like when you talk about imprisonment and death, um, you know, we, I think we can all step back and go, okay, we're not there. Um, but the idea of being faithful unto death applies to all of us. And it's amazing when you really take a stand for Christ, um, things happen. Um, Satan is not happy with that. Uh, the reward uh, is the crown of life. And, um, you know, typical reward, Roman Empire for completing something, uh, a crown. We see this in Jewish writings in different places. And um, I, I think the, the, the goal here is to receive what God is giving to his people for endurance. And specifically, uh, what's mentioned here is that second death has no, no hold on you. Um, the idea of dying and second death going to hell, that's, that's not our destiny. Um, this idea of second death is mentioned again in Revelation 20, uh, verse 14. Um, and he says there, um, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is second death. Okay, So we do, sometimes it's like, well, whoa, what does this mean? Ten days? Is that literal figurative? We get the definition of second death. We're talking about hell. And so, look, whatever you're enduring... Church in Smyrna, persecution, imprisonment, martyrdom. Glory awaits, hell does not. You say, Dave, but I thought my life here on earth would be richer. And I mean that literally. I thought I would achieve the American dream my house would be bigger and my wallet would be bigger and I, I want to bless other people I, I just why doesn't God why doesn't God love me See, the idea of peace and security and wealth and comfort is actually a pretty modern western idea um, the idea of being faithful to the end regardless of what is in front of you. That is actually a biblical idea. And I don't know what God has for you or for me, 
in the next 10 days or 10 years. But I know that God is good. And I know that whatever we face, God is with us. And whatever we go through brings us closer to our Savior, Jesus Christ. And no matter how bad the pain that we encounter today, nothing but glory awaits those who have Jesus as their Savior. Let's pray. Father God, we, uh, we pray that as we uh, open up your word at times when it is difficult, that we, uh, we're reminded of your goodness, uh, we're reminded of your love for us, um, and, uh, and God, we pray that we would lean into this idea that knowing you helps us understand what we go through. That your picture of who you are needs to be bigger than the picture of whatever we're going through. And the whole book of Revelation, it's it's not about charts. It's about Jesus. And may we see your power and your sovereignty every day. But as we go through the study, may we just bow our knee to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We pray this in Jesus' name.